The podcast you're about to listen to was aired on April 3rd, 2017, back when Ruby Volume 4 was brand new. Enjoy. Hello everyone, this is JPO, and I am back for another podcast, and beside me I am joined with... Cat. And uh, on the calls, we have, on the right side, on my perspective... That doesn't help either <laughs> of us. We don't know what your perspective is. Uh, have what you say at first, since... Alright, I'm Toa Legend, and this is... Uh, is that my yeah, turn? That's your cue. <laughs> Alright, I'm Flame Wolf. What up? Yeah. Anyway, so today we're talking about um, Ruby Volume 4. It was a fun volume, yeah. And um, what should we start with about that volume, eh? Mm. You don't know? Um, Alright, should we just talk about the volume in general? Sure, let's do that. All right. Um, who wants to start first? Did we do. We do. Specific purpose in this whole thing, or are we just commenting? We're talking <coughs> about the volume. And then later we'll talk about characters. So no specific. Not at the moment, right now, in general, right. volume four. All right. So, Kat, why don't you start? Uh, I think overall it was pretty good. Good overview. <laughs> yes, amazing overview. Uh, sorry. Alright, so, uh... What an echo. Um, so yeah, Flame, how about you, since you haven't been on for over a year? I... Right. Uh, I think he died. Any uh, specific question? No, just, no just what do you think of the whole volume in general, in the grand scheme of things? Do you want a, a minute to think of that? Think of what? I can't hear you. My connection is really, really bad. All right. So, just tell her. Just give us something. Okay. So, I guess this volume is... Um, as a theme, we've been noticing that like over the past few volumes, we've... Um, the story has been growing up with the characters and so this volume was a lot more pessimistic than optimistic and the first couple volumes like the first volume was hey we're gonna go to school it's gonna be a fun time second volume was a little bit darker and then volume three we got it started off good and they're like yeah we're gonna save the world and we're going to do really great things and then it all goes downhill in the end so in volume four we get a couple of episodes of 
recovery. Um, about the first three or four episodes were kind of um, low action, low energy, very calm episodes. Um, and then after that, you kind of started to realize, okay, well, what we saw in the first couple seasons, that was kind of a bubble experience. Like the, the characters in the story didn't really know what was going on. And neither did we at that point either. Um, so we viewed the world of Remnant as smaller than it actually was. Um, so there are a couple times, even um, I think it's episode four or five, when um, oh, when oh, when's gone? Continue. <laughs> okay. Um, when Ruby and um team ranger or junior um decide or they're talking about how long they've been walking and how far they've been walking and they are talking to ruby and she's like yeah i didn't think it would actually take this long and they asked her okay how long did you think it would take and she said a couple weeks you kind of see that oh well these these guys are still they're still kids, but they're matured. Um, and so season four was kind of like the real eye-opener that the world is bigger than just Beacon. Um, so that was one of the biggest themes that I saw. Yeah. All right. Um, so for me, volume four is... Um, it's, it's what I called a the period of um how, how do i put this it it was overall a much more calmer volume uh, as relation to volume 3 which was action packed um and um let me just type to you type to you uh, um hold on let me get my thoughts together all right yeah, calmer, and um, it's it's the period of time where everything's just like, what are we doing now? Kind of like after a serious and um, shocking moment happens in someone's life, and once you you know had that thing go by, you just have this whole stage of like, um, I don't know what to do next. Um, what happens next? Uh, the whole. I don't want to say depression period because that's not entirely accurate, but that's an idea of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, after loss, there's that sense of, well, now what? Yes. You kind of have to redefine your life, and that's kind of what this, at least especially the beginning of this season was. Yes, and... um. Which is why, you know, I've said a few times, like, in my reviews of the chapters, and also had a conversation with you one time, how Volume 4 was, um... It, it's a series that needs to be binge-watched, like, with the other stuff. Because for us as humans, you know, we know that this is a fantasy world, and, um, having... And we understand that the emotions going isn't as strong as it would be in real life. 
and then just having it months later, and then chapter a week, the motions there are not complete. You know, you feel like there's something missing that you're not on the same page as the characters on the screen are. You understand what they're going through, but you can't exactly feel what you're going through. So if you were to watch Volume 4 right after watching Volume 3, then the emotion makes um, complete sense and it's right there and uh, you understand more much better. Well, but also you have to realize that Volume 4 happens months after Volume 3. Um, so while I think it's a good idea to watch, like the especially the finale right before watching Volume 4, um, I think the idea of it was that you would be ruminating on it at the same time as the uh, the members of Ruby and the members of Juniper would. Um, but you're right, we don't... It's... I think they do... Uh, Rooster Teeth did a really good job displaying emotion in this. Yeah. Like, there were several times when I was just about in tears or in tears because of it. Um, but, uh... I think, regardless, it's hard to see the full picture of emotion. And so we we kind of have to piece it together through what we see them going through and what we see their reactions are to different things that come up. Yeah. Um... Alright, um, another thing about Volume 4 that I noticed that, um, it just seems that some of their character development was, um, uh, it didn't really happen on screen for some of the characters like Yang or, uh, Blake. How, you know, Yang, one moment, you know, she's still, you know, grieving about her arm and doesn't really want to try the new arm. And she looks out her window and sees people leaving. That's not much of a hint. And then, um, next, uh, she wears her arms like, okay, I'm ready to train. I feel like that part there should have taken longer in the volume than just that one ch chapter. Yeah, I mean, my impression of it was, like, she wouldn't accept the arm at all in the end and just go one-armed forever, but then suddenly she accepted it, and I didn't really understand the thought process behind that. Yeah, it was um it was definitely weird because we saw her progress, but it wasn't as um highlighted as um the emotions of like for instance um Ren was very emotional for this. Yeah. Um even Blake, we saw a lot of her backstory in it um and her emotions, which has been really cool and it's a nice juxtaposition because in the past seasons we've seen um Blake be more of the quiet one and she's emotional for sure but she tends to be quiet um but um Yang is the more outspoken one and so in this one she was it was the nice flip on that um we saw Blake being more talkative in this and Yang was less talkative about problems that they had. 
Alright. So, <coughs> so Flame Wolf, he's uh, typing his review to us. Uh, he says that uh, it was pretty good, but he feels that it was very slow-paced compared to the others. He's still typing. Um, what do you think of that? Uh, and we see little bits and pieces from each character, but since they are so divided and all, we don't get to see enough of Yang, for example, or Blake. Mm. Yeah, I I agree. Like, it we had to piece things together with um, them all being separated. It wasn't like we got to see their constant character development with each other. Um, like we have in the past. Yeah. Um, Blake, um, I feel like there's just something that the writers, or just something that just we just completely missed, because, you know, when she goes to meet her family, you know, she seems fine, you know, with uh, her family. And then the next time we see her, she's like, she doesn't want to see her dad, you know, she's embarrassed to go and see him. And I'm just wondering, where did that whole feeling come from? I don't know. I think even the whole time, she's hesitant about it. But isn't that... She knows that... Wouldn't that partly oh, sorry, go be ahead. because she stayed with the White Fang even when her dad stopped wanting to be in charge mm -hmm. of it, and then it turned bad and, but and stuff we, like that? But we don't yeah. really have a explanation for that or what goes on there. Well, we, we kind of did, though. Like when the white fang members come to meet them at um blake's house or her parents house um she gets all frustrated about that and there's obviously a lot of bottled up emotions there but we see that in her discussion with her dad later on that yeah there's a lot of emotions that Honestly, she just wanted to get past. Um, but she realized, like, she needed to see her parents. She needed that comfort. She didn't really have anywhere else to turn to at that point. All right. And, uh... But there was still some awkwardness. Okay. So... <coughs> Flamewolf continues with that, uh, not to mention others. Seems like the director gave a lot of characters less importance than, in my opinion, they deserved. Overall, I think it wasn't as memorable as the third, on the technical side. The animation was the best so far, and it was super awesome. That's it. Um, for his... Talk about the animation. Um, for me, it was really distracting, because, you know, it was obvious that they were using a different um, animation uh, program than what they were using before and um, some of the designs or uh, the what would you call them sprites uh... not probably not uh, sprites are specifically the, 2D anyway, the <sighs> like the models? yes the models the, characters? Yeah, the models some of them you know were Somehow, it just it didn't really seem proportional. For example, Ironwood, his <laughs> arms are just awkward. 
And so yeah, me me cat looked this up. You know, we we rewatched that um episode, and we saw Ironwood's arms. You know, his arms were like tiny, in proportion to the rest of his body. And then we look back on you know volume two and three, and his arms are much better proportioned. I didn't notice any other problems with the other characters though. Yeah, not so much. I think it might also be just that they used, um camera angles differently in this volume um they were a lot more artistic with their shots because honestly i think they could be more artistic as ruby's gone on they've developed a better animation team um learned a lot more about their own animations so i think a lot of that also comes down to perspective okay um well, something else. Also, another thing that distracted me was um, on the faces of the character, they now have, like, more detail on the lower lip. And, you know, for Ruby, that l lower lip was shine, and, you know, that would, like, really distract me. Like, oh, my, she has a lip. Before, it was just a line. Now she has a full-on shiny lip. You're saying that's a bad thing? No, I'm just saying, you know, it's very distracting. You know, having all these changes. Yeah, man, I hate when people have lips. <laughs> I know, right? For me, it's like the opposite as John, because I at first I didn't like the animation, and now it's getting better, so I'm liking it more. Except for Ironwood's arms. Yeah, I'm... Yeah, at first I was kind of opposed to the, uh, the change, but I think overall it's just getting better and that's it yeah for me like I, I, also another thing about the animation is that i was really upset because you know it wasn't the same as what we saw in the character short where they had like these fancy lighting and all these cool effects and for most of the volume that was not that wasn't anywhere to be seen mm. you know what i mean Yep. Right. Okay, so should we start talking about characters? Sure. Alright. You know, first off, we know we should go <coughs> about obviously Ruby. Hmm. I, if I'm going to be honest, I don't think this season really focused on Ruby as much. I think it still put her in the front but it didn't really concentrate on her like she wasn't um she wasn't the main focus i guess in this she was still kind of leading the charge towards um going to uh mistral but she wasn't the main character in this season, I don't think. Okay, so Flame Wolf here has a interesting response. She's cool, pretty, I don't know how to explain it. Satisfying? She isn't lacking anything important a main character should have, so we good. Yeah. Um... I'm not sure. 
when uh, I guess you know that would make sense, yeah. Right? Yeah. Like she's not again, yeah, she's not lacking anything. She's just not I don't think at the forefront Changing. of everything. Yeah, like she's she's decently stable as to where she is. And I think that comes down to she's younger than everybody else. So she has more light in her, I guess, is a way of putting it. And uh, so she she's more optimistic. And that's just the character of Ruby in general. Yeah. But she's more willing to move past things. Even when they were talking to Crow around the campfire, she was saying, you know, okay, I don't really understand what's happening, but I'm willing to trust and fight beside you, Uncle Crow. So, she's not lacking anything. She's just not changing very much. And I think that's um, one of the bigger differences for her. Yes. Also, this volume kind of um, focused on the, the side characters' um, um, developments, you know, like uh, mm -hmm. Juniper. And um, which took away the focus from, the, you know, our main character ruby which it, it's it's fun to mm -hmm. see that but you know it's also interesting to see um how ruby you know she was surprisingly much more happier than i would have thought she would have been after the whole event yeah i mean she lost two good friends and her sister lost an arm and her team is divided i think a lot of it is that she just doesn't focus on that like, she's still, if she was still caught off guard about it, um, she would be sad. But I think a large portion of it is she, I mean, she's always wanted to be a huntress. So she's kind of living her dream right now. But she's not, um, she's just not letting those things get in the way of that right now. I think... She's trying to overcome one thing at a time. And right now, she's trying to figure out how to save the world. Even if other people think, well, she's just a kid. She's trying to do her best to do that. So. Yeah. Okay. Um, meditation is fun. Um... <laughs> Do you have anything else to add? No. Alright. Uh, next up we have Weiss. You really do learn a lot about her family in Volume 4. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was good to see. Yeah. Um, and we saw, like, if... I don't know if you guys watched all the uh, World of Remnant <laughs> things. I have. But, uh... Have no, she hasn't. Um, we find out a lot through that and through the story of how basically her dad married into the family and took the Schnee name um, and has kind of just been thinking about it as this is how I make money rather than trying to help people. So... In this season, we saw Weiss dealing with 
well, okay, so at Beacon, everybody had ideals and morals and virtues, but most of her family members don't. Um, when we see her dad, he's always talking business. We see her brother basically stab her in the back. Um, we um, don't see her mother, Which is, but it's, we hear... It's surprising that we don't see her mother at all. Well, we hear about her mother, though. And she's there. Yeah, but the one time we do hear about her, and I don't remember if she's talked about otherwise, but we hear that she's drinking in the courtyard. Um, and this, it was daylight. So it seems like her mother isn't very emotionally stable, and that's why we don't see her. Mm-hmm. Um, that this... I don't know. This situation is... It's tough for for Weiss. Yeah. Um, so Weiss, um, it's just it's interesting to just compare Volume One to Volume Four. Weiss, you can tell there's just just this great distinction, where she now doesn't really focus on her family name anymore. She more focuses on herself. And um, she also her main focus was like or physical training of her semblance and um, you know she realizes that huh, Atlas isn't really the whole you know perfect society as I once thought so mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting seeing that there yeah for sure and she definitely at the beginning of Ruby she was very much I'm a I'm a schnee I um, I'm very specifically part of this family. I'm very proper, very respectful. And in this, we see she's coming into her own. She's making her own opinions about things and realizing, yeah, this isn't this isn't necessarily the right way to do things. Like people shouldn't just be proper all the time. People should care. Um. So that was a. That was a cool thing to witness. And then her leaving her family at the end of it was very um, very representative of who she's becoming. She's becoming more independent. And she's also, I feel like she's also going to be relating to her sister a lot more now. Yeah. Because her sister basically did the same thing um, and went into the military um, despite what her family really wanted her to. Yeah. Um, Flame Wolf says she's pretty stereotypical, as well as Blake. But I like that Weiss is really close and caring about her friends, even though, even if she usually doesn't like it. Like, like it. Look like it, probably. Yeah, like, like it. She doesn't like, like it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, to some degree, yeah, she fits the uh, rich girl stereotype. Yeah. But I like how she's breaking away from that. Mm-hmm. And the way that she does it is um, in a pretty cool way. Um, we also got to see her uh, her butler, which... I wish we saw more of. Yeah. Yeah, it, and he's kind of like... 
her uncle in a way, I think. Like, her... Her dad is still her dad, but... Her butler was... The person who is actually taking care of her and probably knows her better than her dad. Um, so it's just a cool... I, I wish, you know, they would have explained... Um, his um, 12 7 dwarves um, attire oh his yeah and it was I want to say it's part of his semblance um, but then we learn later and I'm sure yeah I'm sure that he'll have some sort of weapon that's um, representative of that 10 volumes from now <laughs> maybe it'll be like everyone's favorite character <laughs> um how about you Mm. Yeah, I do like how she's breaking out of the stereotype, like Joel was saying. And I really hope that all of Team Ruby meets up by, like, the first episode of Volume 5. <laughs> and then see how everyone has changed and stuff. Hmm. Anyway, so, now on to Blake. And Flamewolf says, like I said, stereotypical, quiet, mysterious girl with a dark past. It ha always happens. She's cute, though. <laughs> I would argue that it's less than stereotypical. Yeah. Because to some degree, like, yeah, quiet, mysterious past, blah, blah, blah. But... The vibe that we were kind of getting towards the beginning was that she um, didn't have a very good background. But in this, we saw she has really good parents mm -hmm. who we see are very loving of each other and of her and are very supportive. Um, and so we saw that, like, she is somewhat rebellious as a character. And that she first rebelled against her parents, and then when she realized it was wrong, she rebelled against White Fang. And so it kind of brought her around to, okay, this is what happened. I don't think that she's, her past is all that dark. It's just that she jumped into a situation not fully knowing what was going to happen, and then it ended up being worse than she expected yeah um i like how you know we get to know more about her character she she wasn't really quiet and mysterious um this time around she expressed uh, her emotion uh, much more than what we've seen in the past and also you know volume three she didn't really have any character development until the last chapter and um here, you know, she, throughout the volume, is uh, conflicting about, like, what she's done and, like, what she will do next. Yeah, she's also really yeah. strong because I mean, she was in the White Fang. She did go to the dark side, I guess you would say. But then she bounced back from that. She joined Team Ruby. She's trying to save the world. And I'm, in this volume, she's sorting through all her feelings about that. But I, she always goes to the right side in the end. Hmm. Yeah, and her, her dad brings up that point, 
to when they have their conversation that yeah she she chose wrong but she's stronger for it and she's better for it and she's strong enough to say that hey i'm i did that but now i'm rebelling against that and i'm trying to fix that so yeah i think it's pretty cool yeah um it's also interesting to see the white fang in this how a lot of the faunas you know they in the other parts of the world they don't know about the more violent white fang they know of the pacifist white fang and so seeing how mm-hmm. you know different factions you know they have different methods of working and uh, it's interesting to hear that it's like oh okay so they're not all evil right and i think well i think they're trying to lead people to believe that they're not all evil yeah we we saw that when they were walking away they're like hey should we talk to adam and they're like yeah but i think it's a good like parallel to the real world how um oftentimes people will justify it as well yes our group of people did this but that doesn't represent like the mi- the minority doesn't represent the whole um whereas in this case that's tr- they say that but it does represent the whole the whole of the white fang has become corrupt um as far as we know so it's an interesting take on that and to kind of it kind of pushes people to look at it and think okay well just because people are saying this or saying anything doesn't mean uh doesn't mean we should necessarily always trust them trust came into a big factor in this um volume i think Looks like Flamewolf has something else to say about Blake. He's typing it right now. Um, I I really liked, you know, uh, hold on. Uh, also, about Blake, I don't feel like she, Blake, adds a lot to the show, and that's kind of frustrating. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, this volume, she, at the end, says, oh, we're going to change the White Fang. Yeah, I mean, in this volume... Not too much progressed as far as plot. It was more an in-between. But it was building up to a bunch of stuff that will happen in Volume 5, hopefully. Yeah. Okay. Uh, her parents, I really liked, you know, how her parents, you know, we have a giant dad with <laughs> that massive chest hair. And uh, a small mother. Who Flame Wolf mm-hmm. thought, you know, that would be a brother. Yeah, I thought at first glance that that was uh, her sister, but I guess, like, yeah, if you look at it in more detail, she does have, like, more, um, well, wrinkle lines, more adult features. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. But I, I find um, the relationship between that family just really cute, and um, their reaction to Sun was... <laughs> yes pretty great yes basically the mother is just son as a female with clothes because uh, there's, I a, go that there's a lot of parallels they're both kind of hyperactive and then the mother she does the same <laughs> fall down the thing as son did yeah 
I guess there's that parallel, but I mean, she's nowhere near as bold as Sun. We don't, and well, do we know that? A lot quieter. I mean, so far we saw Sun jump off a building to go after yeah, um, okay. Blake, whereas her mom stayed at home. Yeah, I think the mom is more of a caring person. All right. Mm -hmm. So Yang. Um. Yeah. Well, as we were talking about it's... before, with the arm and stuff, where just suddenly she starts using it. I think that her character just moved on really quickly, and that a lot of her development happened off screen. Like, I would have loved mm -hmm. to see her first trained with her arm, you know, instead of we skipped weeks later to her being able to fully fight with it. And mm. just uh, the passage of time of, you know, a struggles, like, I wish we'd have seen uh, more of that, but it, it just, it just uh, passed up by really quickly. I think part of that is they just, at Rooster Teeth, they didn't really want it to... They didn't want that to bog down the rest of the story. And in reality, Ruby is the carrier of the story right now. She's the one that's pushing it forward. Yeah. Whereas Weiss, um, Blake, and Yang are... In this season, we got to see their past. We got to see why they are the way they are. Um, it, this season was very much focused on family and origins... Um, origins including the origin of supposedly good and evil the origins of the grim origins of humanity um, so with family we got to see um, Blake's family where she's from why she joined the white fang um, the influence of the white fang on her culture we got to see Weiss and why she seems like such a snob even though we kind of come to realize that it's not really her fault she's just grown up in that culture and she's always thought it was right until recently yeah um with yang we got to see her family through both crow and um ruby in previous seasons specifically three um but in this one, we get to see her relationship to her dad, which her family relationship is a little weird as is because we see that Yang and Ruby have different mothers um, and that Ruby's mother is, as far as we know, dead and that Yang's mother has abandoned them. Uh -huh. Um but they were all on a team together. Um, so there's a little bit of awkwardness between um, Yang's dad and Yang. Um, but overall, it, I think it was a really cool way of showing her relationship with her dad because she and her dad are pretty similar. Um, even just their looks. They both have blonde hair. They wear similar 
um, color choices. Um, they're very similar. Yeah. So we get to see that, like, it's kind of when she's talking to her dad, and I think this is cool in the uh, intro animation because um, part of the intro animation is she's sparring with her dad, and then her dad is replaced with uh, an image of herself. Yeah. And I think that's cool because her dad is kind of like a reflection of her. Except it's the reflection of her that's saying, don't let this situation define you. Don't let this situation break you. You become who you want to be regardless of what happened. Whereas she's telling herself, I failed, I'm worthless, I can't do anything. And eventually she starts to listen to her dad. She starts to have a good relationship with her dad um, and therefore with herself. So I think it's a very interesting um, family dynamic in this season. Yeah. So Flame Wolf says Yang has a lot of personality, and that's great, and that's why it's so shocking seeing her all down on season volume four. Whatevs. Uh, also, he says I don't really pay much attention to her. I really, really just like her outfit. Yeah, she was... The thing is, she was kind of the um, superficial, like, party girl in season... Or in volume one and two. Um, but towards the end of volume two and into volume three, we get to see, okay, she has actual emotions. She most of the time seems to be covering up for them um, by being loud, by being funny, by doing these things. But she has actual emotions. And in this, we get to see when she's broken, like she has real feelings. Um, and yeah, so it is shocking to see her like this. But it's also kind of cool. Alright. Hmm? Yeah, nothing? No. Alright. So, Jean. Flamo says, I used to think of him like the typical comedy relief, and he sort of was, but I feel like the series has been building up his character pretty neatly. Mm. I would agree. Compare the yeah. beginning with first time we saw him, and now there's just that. I just love how there's just a massive, you know, like he's really building as a character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially when well, he's like, training at night. Yeah. And with the mm-hmm. with the recording of Pira, and you just see so much emotion there too. Yeah, that's just like every time you see John John in like in this story you kind of break a little bit because you see like he he seems to be a very lighthearted character and a bold character but a lighthearted one mm-hmm. um he can take the jokes and he's normally the on the receiving end of the jokes um but he's never wanted to be the damsel in distress and so he's really fought hard and worked hard to do his best even though i mean he snuck his way into beacon academy um and then from there he uh he trained and tried to do his best alongside pira and he was distracted by weiss at the time but then only a few days before pira died 
did he start really, really noticing her. Um, and so he's, he's just broken. He, he, he hates how, I think he hates how he treated Pyrrha and how he didn't realize, um, the kinds of things she was going through. Um, but she's, he's trying to write himself right his own wrongs and do it in Pyrrha's sake and that's why it's cool to see him wearing armor made from Pyrrha's armor yeah um but yeah it's it's crazy and even like at the end of the season when they're all in Mistral we see them we see Jean just sitting in the room alone and uh he's got his sword and shield up against the wall and uh Ren and Nora walk in and they uh Ren sen- sits down his dagger next to that yeah. and they all kind of join together and it's it's a really really touching moment cuz they all were friends of Pira and yeah. it hit John the hardest because he spent the most time with her but once Nora and uh, Ren were able to overcome some of their demons, they were able to be with Jean and to realize, okay, he's hurting too now. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Jean is the type of character where I'm just, like, really excited just to know what will happen with this character. You know, they've set him up. Oh, he has a lot of... Um, aura in him and you know it's like oh what's that gonna be like and um you know he with his um fighting skills have developed quite drastically since you know his first um time fighting and it's good seeing that and also we still don't know what his semblance is which you know it's a great mystery and something to look forward to and but the way you know i i see him like using his weapons I feel like his semblance might have something to do with um, shielding, like probably yeah. creating massive force fields. Well, I was thinking about that too. Yeah. Um, but also, we see one of the things that we saw in when he actually got his semblance for the first time when he was talking to Pira. Yeah. Um, we saw a cut on him. Quickly disappear and get healed that's what um uh, aura is supposed to do heal no an aura doesn't heal that fast hey that's what the world of remnant says it heals it yeah but not that fast that's extremely fast if it healed that fast explain you know he has a lot of it right but if an aura healed that fast i feel like yang would still have an arm or it would have grown back at this point arms don't grow back though Oh, oh, well, that's a actually, weird thing to think about. Can arms grow back with, like lizards? I mean, yeah, if they done right, yeah. Um, but anyways, the the thing is, we haven't seen anybody heal that drastically from aura before. Hmm. Um, but we already know that aura is a form of shield. So I think 
that Jean is going to um, be able to heal people. I think that will be his aura. Um, if I'm going to be honest. I think shielding might be part of it. Um, but I feel like he's basically going to become the tank of the group regardless. Like he'll, yeah. he'll be the one that will be able to take all the hits while navigating people and being like, okay, you need to be attacking here now. Um, so he'll be like the support strategist type of deal. Cause we see that like even his weapon isn't outfitted to be as powerful as a giant sniper scythe or a thunder hammer or a uh whatever ren has but he's got a sword and a shield which is a very traditional yeah form of fighting so it's really more being able to defend himself um and attack when he needs to the most all right well, rather than knowing what will happen, I'm kind of also interested in Jean's past a bit, especially, like, how he actually snuck into Beacon. Like, is, was he just smart enough to do that himself, or did he get help in that? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good point. It we So we saw a lot of the background of other members of Juniper in this season, but the two characters that we didn't really see background for were i would argue that our two main protagonists of the series jean and uh ruby yeah. ruby we didn't really see much of a background too and to be fair she might not have too much of a background we might have already seen what her background's like through yang and um her father but jean we know little to nothing about except for that he his um weapons are basically heirlooms yeah and that he snuck into beacon and that's about it all right so is that all for jean i think so yeah yeah i think so we pretty well covered him i think all right on to nora flame wolf i love his response pinkie pie A violent Pinkie Pie. A very violent Pinkie Pie. So, um, I don't... Uh, <laughs> you don't understand what we're talking about, right? No. Uh, based on what I know about MLP, um, I have a feeling that Nora's character is a little bit deeper than this Pinkie Pie. Yes. But... You know. Yeah. It's emotional Pinkie Pie <coughs> is what Nora is. <laughs> um I liked how, you know, we got to see um Yeah, um that's for another character, so Hmm. Well I we still haven't seen all of her past. Well, we know that she was like an an orphan on the streets, you know. Yeah, but mm -hmm. I, she 
wasn't born in Kuno Yuri, it seems like, because she comes there and then the kids are bullying her and saying she's wearing weird clothes or something. Yeah. So I wonder where she did come mm. from and... Yeah, she might have been... She might have had a similar story to Ren where her village was wiped out by um, Grimm, or she could have just been born an orphan and ran away. Yeah. So, her character, there's still a lot of mystery to it. Um, I like what's developed, what's being developed with her and uh, Ren at the end of the volume, how they're probably going to be together, which they probably are already together. <coughs> yeah, well, and we see them holding hands at the end of the season. It's all cute and stuff. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Alright, so... I guess we should talk about Ren then. Yeah. Yeah. Flame Wolf says he's pretty cool. They gave him a lot of importance on this last volume, and I like that, especially towards the end. Now we have a reason why he's so introverted, and I like that pretty cool character overall. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like he was somewhat introverted from the beginning. Um, he's just more anti-social, I suppose. Yeah. Because of what happened. <coughs> um, he's definitely one of the deeper thinkers of the group. But... I think this season highlighted who he was. Like, in the past... Even in just the past couple seasons, he was always the one that we saw fall first. Like, he was the cool ninja who moved fast and stuff, but in a fight, he didn't really do much. Um, he was just kind of there, and then we saw Pira do great. We saw Nora be a giant powerhouse, and we saw Jean slowly but surely progress Ren was kind of just there um, and so this season really focused on him yeah um, which was really important during his flashback episode you know I was just really confused it's like because you know I I figured you know that little kid was Ren but he has a voice of a little girl yeah I did not like the voice for little Ren it's like huh, is that Ren I think the the voice was accented more than um, than his voice is now, which kind of threw me off. Yeah. But otherwise, eh. Yeah. Um. And what was his semblance? Was it like hiding people from Grimm? Or I something? feel no. I feel like it's more like uh, you know how he's always calm. I think his semblance has to um do with him hiding, you know, emotions from the Grimm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, because Grimm are attracted to negative emotions, and so when he was hiding the first time, it kind of shut down all of his emotions. Um, and he basically became a pure logical, like, fighting machine. Um, or protecting machine, I guess, in the first time. But it kind of kind of cloaks um, people to Grimm when 
there's no emotions to attract them. So, yeah. I think it's an interesting semblance. It's a more passive one than aggressive, yeah. like a lot of his team and was. But It's also interesting to see how Grim are blind. How mm. they can't see without emotion. And mm-hmm. It's like, huh, those red dots on their faces, they are useless. Yeah, well, I mean, they can see, like, trees and stuff, but they're not attracted to anything except for emotion. Yeah, I'm wondering if it's kind um, of like, don't snakes see that, like, where they all, they see heat and or something? Well, this is a different right. world, so we don't know how but those... A vision kind of like that, where if you don't see the emotion, you can still see what's around you, but you don't see it as something you can eat or something. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. Um, yeah, I think the fight with Ren's demon, which was a literal demon, basically, at the end of it, was, um, really cool, but I'm gonna agree with Flame that it wasn't as big as in the past few seasons, and in the past few seasons, it was a build-up. We saw them fighting against (coughs) their worst enemies at the time. So that started with fighting with Torchwick. Yeah. And then that was fighting with um, White Fang. And then that was fighting with um, Cinder. And now we realize, okay, the, the real enemy, as far as we know, is either um, Salem or possibly this deity of darkness. Um, and... Uh, we don't see them really interact with them except for the fight between uh ruby crow and uh scorpion tailed tailed guy um Tyrion, that's right and uh so this fight was more like the season about character progression and so that they can move on and they can address bigger problems um, together. Yeah. Um, you know when I when you know when I was looking at this volume overall, I it feels like this entire volume was made to set up the next volume with um you know with Raven and Crow you know the whole bandits and then you know mm-hmm. the whole thing with Oscar and um, Mistral. And uh, having all the characters in the end, you know, heading towards that area. Yeah. That's kind of what this volume also felt like. Which is exciting, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Alright, um, on to Crow. Looks like Flame has a lot to say about him. He's the best. I agree. I feel like all his attitude and everything is due to his semblance, and that's something he didn't choose. So he just kind of had to learn to live with it. And I like him because he's all, he always struggles, since he always wants to protect everyone, but his semblance doesn't let him, sort of. But he's quite kind, even if he looks like a prick. But plus his sword is also the best. It's also a scythe. Yeah. It's, it's actually that the weapon is called a scythe several times. Yeah. Just saying. <clears throat> no, but yeah, I, yeah, he's 
probably one of the coolest characters in in the show, and that's not just because of how he looks either. He's he's pretty awesome. Um, probably one of the deepest characters in the show, just from hearing about his past for like half an episode. <laughs> like, yeah. It's <coughs> also interesting, you know how we thought that you know his. Turning into a crow was his semblance, but no, he it's he has a different semblance. Then, well, then how does but he we turn do into a crow? Yeah, Is it, yeah. Somehow he does turn from genetic a crow into a human. <laughs> genetic. And it might it might be part of um, they talked about the tribe that uh, he and his sister were a part of, and maybe they have some form of magic through like. A relic of some sort like he has for instance the cross which is like crooked on his necklace which i think is really good imagery for his character like he's trying to do the best that he can but even still like it's still messed up a little bit um but he's he's a character that takes things seriously and is trying not to weigh everybody down with himself, but also make sure that, you know, the world kind of stays alive. Um, also, it, I think one of the coolest scenes for him was him talking to his sister. Yeah, that, yeah. Um, and it was just cool because I... I get the impression from him that he's the younger brother in this situation, which is kind of a fun feel because he's always taking himself seriously, making sure like he's doing everything properly, being like someone that pretty much everybody looks up to, at least to some degree. Um, but in this case, he was the smaller in this situation like he wasn't the one that she was looking up to she was the one that abandoned him kind of yeah um so it was just a cool interaction between the two and ultimately we see how much of a good guy crow is like he basically he abandoned his family to save the world Hmm. And she didn't. She stuck with her clan to save it. So ultimately, they shouldn't be fighting against each other. They shouldn't be quarreling against each other. But they end up doing so because they themselves are rather pessimistic about the world. They, I mean, Crow has reason to be in that everything he's around kind of crumbles. Yeah. But um, both of them see it as it will be hard to survive. Mm -hmm. um, but Crow seems to have been mentored by um, Ozpin. And so Crow sees the light, whereas his sister pretty much only sees darkness, and survival is the only goal in the end. So it's... it's He's a cool character overall. He's just... 
really well done. Yeah. Also, his semblance itself is pretty interesting, how he brings in bad luck. And I just love how it's been uh, subtly shown in the past volume, like, when he's around. Like, when you first see him, the bartender, he breaks a glass. Next time we see him, you know, winter, he gets caught, she gets caught by an Ironwood. And then Ironwood, when he uh, finally shows up in his cyborg form to Crow, a griffin attacks him. And just seeing those little hints was actually pretty cool how they had this planned far back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, also we saw him... He's he's the show's alcoholic, yes. basically him and Ironwood to some degree. Yeah. Um, but we kind of always, or at least I always thought that like it was just oh he's pessimistic he drinks to kind of alle- alleviate that. But in the end, it's more like no, the world's treating him like garbage, um, and he can't really help it. He- he drinks so that he can deal with some of that um so he can deal with loneliness a little bit better and that's it's sad but it's it's it gives him more depth yeah um nothing to say oh well the semblance is also weird because it seems like he can't choose whether it's on or off whereas everyone else can Mm. yeah yeah, and there's also a deepness to um, what his semblance is, because when they were walk or when he was going for a walk after their talk at the campfire, they ask if there's anything more that he wants to tell them, and he looked over at a crow, and looked forward again and said, "Not today." So it seems like, because we see. A crow that is separate from him and then we see him turn from a crow into a human yeah just a little bit later and i, I was just so, wondering that you know he's probably he's also probably hinting at raven but i i do suppose yeah crow doesn't make another sense there i wonder if raven can turn into a raven she can i think Maybe. She... So far, we've only really been able to see that she can go through portals. And I mean, would you consider... I don't know. I, there was a bird at um, Yang's window at the end, staring at her. Hmm. I figured, you know, maybe Raven turns into a crow, which makes no sense. I mean... <laughs> It could be that both Raven and Crow, part of their abilities include that they can communicate to some degree with Ravens or Crows. Yeah. Um, Because when they... When the siblings were talking to each other, um, Crow brings up that, of course, Raven knows that her daughter lost an arm. So... Raven is in the know all the time, but we don't really give, we aren't really seeing indication that somebody's told her, like her husband or 
I guess I technically don't know if they were married. Um, but Yang's father probably didn't write a letter and be like, hey, so Yang lost an arm. Just thought I should let you know. Like, <laughs> she has other sources. So that's definitely a possibility, I think. Yeah. Okay. So, Oscar slash Ospin. That was interesting. Oscar pin? Oscar pin, yeah. And then when I was rewatching the series, I what stood out to me was that Blake in the beginning was reading a book about uh, one body and two souls were fighting over that body. Well, that I, reminded hmm. me kind of of the situation with Oscar and Ospin. Well, that when I see that, it's like, oh, Gieco and Hyde reference. Well, there's a little bit of that. Um, I think a lot of uh, Firestorm from the DC Universe. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Oscar's seemingly younger than everybody in uh, in the series that we've really seen so far. So it'll be interesting to see. I'm sure that they'll meet up with, or that he'll meet up with Team Ruby. Yeah. Or at least travel with Crow. Um. But, uh, yeah, he's he's a character that I think is more realistic to some degree in that, like, I mean, he just started hearing voices and then he's like, okay, what's happening? Yeah. Like, he definitely thinks himself crazy and I think anybody in that situation would. Um, but then he starts listening to it and acts on it and he's kind of just following with somewhat blind faith um but ultimately it leads him to crow and they were able to have a conversation kind of yeah i mean oscar was kind of ignored in that conversation but he was there uh i somewhat agree with what flame wolf says way too underwhelming which yeah i Wish you know we got we would have seen more of his character, like cause he is he's like a complete mystery like wh- what his character is all about farming I suppose but then you know you bring in the whole fact mm-hmm. that uh, Ozpin is in his head like how does that work and Ozpin mm-hmm. says like I've gone through the same thing as you did and mm-hmm. some of the dialogue you know Ozpin and uh, Oscar have, you know, it makes it sound like Ozpin's not the one talking, because he's... he's this, the, the dialogue there is pretty confusing. Like, who... Yeah. who What third person is there? Right, like, to some degree, when Ozpin died, he sent himself, like, his own soul, to some degree, to Oscar's body. Yeah. But maybe that's what happened to Ozpin earlier, and so... It's kind of like a reincarnation type of idea where maybe Ozpin, um, the person who whose mind was in Ozpin's, was maybe the wizard from the beginning. Awesome. Maybe it was True. Um, the god of light that they mention. Um, also, um, there was a, yeah. a dialogue where... You know, Ospin tells him to think of the headmaster's room. 
and you know, mm-hmm. husband and, and Oscar, he describes it, and he talks about a um, tea set that he gave him. So it must be that Ospin knew the person who was in his head. In a way. In Ospin's head? Yeah. Or well, in... yeah, because, you know, he's talking well, Yeah. Ospin would be the headmaster, so. Right. Yeah. Overall, there's just a lot we don't know about his character. But mm-hmm. I, liked and I like seeing how, you know... Um, I don't know. I wonder if we will find out much more about Oscar, though. Because I wonder, will he just turn into Ozpin, or... His hair, yeah, his hair it'll... changed, so... And his eyes, too. Yeah. So, yeah, that is interesting just to know, like, what's going on there. So, have to wait till the next few volumes. Right. And, um, side note on... Ozpin and Oscar. So throughout the season, they talk about it a lot. Do you have it? Um, did Ozpin have it when you killed him? Things like that. They keep talking about it, and that's later revealed as probably the relic um, that was um, hidden away in Beacon. Now, my guess is that relic is Ozpin's staff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which would describe how powerful he was in the fight against Cinder. Because, like, we only got to see a couple frames of that fight, but it was still really, really epic. Um, so... The uh, I feel like the staff's gonna come into play, and we're gonna see more of the other three um, relics. But one thing that I've been noting as the seasons have been progressing um, is the number four is very very prevalent. Um, in the first season, four people for a team, yes, was a big part of that. Um, and the next season we find out, or in season three, I guess, we find out that there's four maidens for the four seasons. Um, there are four kingdoms. Uh, there are four relics. Four is a huge number. But it's really cool because um, I think that ties in really well to um, Crow in that in... I know at least Chinese culture, I think Japanese culture as well, four is their version of an unlucky number. Hmm. Um, yeah. Instead of, we think of it as 13, they think of it as four. And I think most of these things have been an unlucky thing for Crow. Um, his team consisting of four members was somewhat unlucky for him in just the awkwardness of... Um, Ty and his sister and um, Summer. Summer. Um, we see the four maidens have been unlucky for him. Um, 
we see the four relics have been turning unlucky for him. So the the emphasis on luck and the number four is really cool to see that progress through the seasons as well. Um, and it does bring up the question, okay, so there's four members of Team Ruby who are all female. Um, are they going to become the maidens of the seasons? Are they going to eventually have the four relics? Are they going to become the head mistresses of the schools? All of those. Like, it's so possible, and it seems like that would be the cliche. Um, and maybe that's where they're headed, but who knows? Yeah. Hmm. Guess what we'll to find out. All right. True, true. Tyrion. Scorpion dude. <laughs> Well, and I think we need to discuss him as part of the group first, because Salem, we see, is this big, bad lady whom we don't really know much about. And even Crow says they don't know much about. Um, but he's one of the few that seems very, very, very loyal to her, calling her their goddess at one point which is interesting because that might mean in the way that possibly Ozpin was connected to um, their god of light perhaps she is connected to their god of darkness um, which would make sense for her to be called Salem his goddess yeah and Salem being a reference to um, the witch trials um at least that's what i got out of it um flame says pretty decent she's pure evil but not stereotypically pure evil villain she's very mysterious she does she seems very well motivated but she has she seems to just have this calm stride to her mm -hmm. as if you know all the pieces are coming together place by place for her yeah i mean well and that's why sorry go ahead okay uh, she even tells like Tyrion, all oh, the spring maiden can wait go after ruby yeah mm -hmm. um and that things like that her calmness especially makes me consider that like maybe she's not really the one in charge like completely she seems way too calm to be the one in charge for this um but she's she seems like, hey, everything's working out. Um, it also makes it almost makes it seem like she might not have the full picture, and that's why I'm thinking she's probably influenced by this being of darkness. Um, but who knows? Again, not very much is known about her except that she's like evil and hates Ozpin. And somehow knows Ozpin. Um, and she wants power. Yeah. Um, so as for Tyrion, though, he's um, he's pretty cool. He's crazy, which is 
interesting. I love his weapons. It's bas oh. It basically turns his hands into axes. Uh, um, not axes, pinchers. I mean, it's a full axe that goes off of his wrist. They're designed as scorpion pinchers. Well, yeah, but they look like axes. If you look at his wrist, <laughs> yeah, it, it's yeah, basically uh, turning yeah. it into an axe. Um, another fun fact of Oscar, he's voiced by Alphonse. Alphonse, Alphonse, Alphonse. Film at Alchemist. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we have both brothers on the show. Hmm. That's cool. Yep, yep. Alright, um... Flame Up says, Tyrion, pretty cool. I like him since he's pretty unstable <coughs> mentally. Wait. <laughs> he likes him because of that? <laughs> yeah. I like him also. I like... I, li I like those characters as well, you know, when they're... You know, when they're pretty unstable mentally, but they also have this stride to him. Like, Tyrion, he has a mission, and he does it with gusto. Which is, I really like him. Also, I'm looking forward to what he has in store for Jean. Yeah, yeah, he did mention Jean. I noticed that, and makes me think that they might have a history, even though Jean doesn't know about it. Get out of here, Don. So maybe, maybe not. Anyway, um, also he's. Um, Aphonis, Scorpion. which, yeah, which is, um, interesting, because, I mean, obviously, we have the White Fang, but he doesn't seem to be associated with them at all. Yeah. Um, so it's very interesting. Also, the fact that he got his tail chopped off by Ruby. Yeah. It's pretty um, disappointing, because, you know, that would have been pretty <coughs> useful in the future. Yeah, also... He is, so far, um, one of the few characters to full-out curse in this yeah. um, series. Which, to some degree, is pretty cool because we get to see how it's the story is growing up. Um, but also, kind of, eh. I don't know how necessary it was, but... Well, for, to me, like, for him to swear, it made complete sense, because, you know, his tail got cut off, that hurts a lot. Right. But for me, it's like, uh, I, I'm not a big fan of swearing, so... Yeah, I think, as a, from a storytelling perspective, I hope they stay away from swearing, for the most part. Like, what they've been Just doing? because... Yeah, just because I feel like this show is more of a family-friendly show. <laughs> um... At least to some degree. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so, when he poisons Crow, I made a big deal about how he in injected Crow when, you know, I saw that. Because, you know, it's like, what? That, is that how a scorpion? No. Because I was really confused. Because... Typically, scorpions, the way they would inject is that they would actually inject, you know, poke you. They wouldn't, like, scratch you because yeah. that wouldn't really make sense for them to do that to inject their venom. 
I mean, if he got the tail in far enough this, and dragged it across him, that scratch would make sense. It still, it still pretty annoyed me so much. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just it's just a small thing, but it's like, um, I'm not. I don't think that's how scorpions work. Anyway. Well. To be fair, Tyrion doesn't seem like the most mentally stable scorpion, so... <laughs> also, Salem doesn't kill him at the end when he failed, which villains mm -hmm. would normally do. Right, that is the stereotypical thing, and I think part of it is that he's just so dedicated to her, and she sees that. Um, overall, she's somewhat a good leader. She demonstrates good leadership qualities in respecting everybody's opinions and such. And trying to keep the peace between them. Um, but yeah, he's... I mean, he's dedicated and he's extremely sorry for not killing them. And um, It does make you feel for him. Like, dang, I almost wish you had succeeded. But also not, because... Crow's awesome. Crow's awesome and Ruby, we kind of want to keep alive even. Especially because the show is called ruby and ruby without ruby would be sad yeah so cinder interesting how <laughs> she was done <laughs> fuck i like flames response there <laughs> she got wrecked uh yeah which yeah like for the past you know three volumes she's been seen like oh the most powerful character and in this volume she's just like oh she's an ant compared to the other characters so huh that, yeah that's something. and she's she's now powerful but she's very unstable yes um and the uh the theme of two souls in one body is also prevalent in her yeah, too yeah. in that the previous it seems like part of the previous user um gets put into the new user and changes them yeah and i mean if um, you're counted as an old uh user then her soul is just so different than cinder's they're like complete opposites yeah True. also we see that cinder there's just a tiny bit of sympathy like Oh crap! I've done something wrong. When when seeing Tyrion mm -hmm. just beat the crap out of thing, where she's, it, which it's probably not the case, but it looks like that she is realized. Oh, she's joined the wrong side. Yeah, it seems like she's kind of regretting her decision. Same with uh, Emerald, in a way. Yeah, I see a lot of empathy on Emerald. I think honestly, Emerald is probably going to be one of the people to turn. Yeah. Um, because Emerald. We've seen her hesitate a lot in the past. Yeah. Um, Mercury is a lot more evil. Um, but Emerald seems to have a good side to her. Yes. She was just in the wrong situation. Hmm. So. Uh, Ironwood. Hmm. He had short arms. I feel like he had fine arms. 
I don't know what you guys are on. <laughs> Take a look again. If you... Right, I, an another thing arms. is just, like... I didn't notice it until John pointed it out, but is he that, has short arms. Yeah, is that um, he's wearing a different costume, and so they might have made a small mistake with the rigging there. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was a mistake. Yeah. I don't... I think that's pretty normal for your arms just to be below the waist. He just has really long legs. No. No. Doesn't. I think it's all that. Doesn't awkward. look right. Are you seeing oh. the same thing as we are? Yeah, I am. I'm looking at the the concept art too, and it's at the. Don't look right at the length. concept art. Just look at the actual. The concept art is what the actual art is based off of. Based off of. Based off of. Yeah. So you're not seeing what we're seeing. No. <laughs> you just maybe maybe he looks more muscular than last season. That, I can see that's that. That's another issue. <laughs> How is that an issue? <laughs> Is he not allowed to work out between the seasons? <laughs> it just it looks weird. He looked it, fine the first time I watched it, but then when John portrayed <coughs> his arms do look a lot smaller than they should be. Oh, go to like where he's standing up or something. Alright. Um, Toa, do you want to read Flamewood's response? Sure. Flame says, in respect to Ironwood, oh, that he likes his motivation. Oh. He's always protective, and as Glenda said, he always does what's best for okay. Okay. Uh, his people, though his decisions might appear silly at some points, but he's really nice. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And, like, it was cool to see him react to... Um, Weiss, in that he was basically the only one that was on her side at the uh, at the I don't know what to call it the fundraiser thing that he was like yeah she's the only one that's like making sense around here <laughs> and everybody else is turning against her besides her butler but yeah I mean, it's not really all that off, though. <laughs> it's it's off when he's sitting right here. No, even when he's standing, because usually your fingertips go a lot closer to your knee than his. And then arm. if you just look and you like compare it to the past volume, like, well, look at the person standing next to him. It's the same distance. I yeah, he's just but more it, built. somehow it's just off. <clears throat> I think that this one's more of a matter of perspective because it looks like his arms are shorter, but his his elbows are bent it, back. Yeah. I mean, if you put your arms on your thighs, your elbows aren't going to be shooting forward. What? <laughs> Says not his fault. Oh, whoa. 
Okay. Um, what else? Just say. Just. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's he's not a huge character. He's just kind of like, hey, we need to actually, you know, try to do the right thing here. Forget about this character, Sun. Oh yeah. Sun Wukong. Um. He really <coughs> talks a lot. He, he in this volume was just there for the comic relief on the Blake side. No, I wouldn't say that. But that's what I, a lot of his um, lines are about, comic relief. Well, yeah, but it also challenged her and pushed her forward and tried to make sure she was doing the right thing. And par part of it was when she ran away, we, at least I kind of thought, oh, she's going alone so that she can defeat the White Fang on her own without anybody else getting hurt. And so he brought that up when they were on the boat, and she was like, "No, that's that's not at all what I'm doing. I'm I'm going home. I'm retreating. I I don't know what to do." And so he was kind of like the voice the voice of the audience. Um, he was also the one that helped us understand the situation of Blake um, because he was an outsider in the situation. So while he was comic relief, he did a lot too. And he was a romantic interest, too. That's part of it. Alright. Um, we also saw a lot more of his semblance in this season. Yeah, I, that's cool to see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and it's cool because he's one of the few characters in, uh, in Ruby who's based off of mythology, much like um, Neptune is. But... Um, Sun Wukong is based off the Chinese um, god of the monkeys and stuff. Um, so his staff is always cool. Journey to the West. Um, uh, that was a good reference that they made. Oh. Um, and... Yeah. And his, his semblance reflects that of mythology where Sun Wukong who's the character from mythology. They got real creative with his name, if you can't tell. Um, would often trick people with duplicates of himself. Fun fact, Sun Wukong is what uh, Goku yeah. is based off yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, That, yeah, that happens. Kind of cool how his and Blake's semblances are so similar. Nice review. Yeah. Flame Wolf. Eh, I got nothing. Alright. So, Weiss's family. Mainly the father and the brother. The brother I knew at, like, right when he started talking that he was evil. Oh. Like, he was on his dad's side. I didn't like the brother because, you know, it wasn't because, you know, he's, like, evil. It's just, he has a way about him that reminds me of someone else uh you know the way he dresses like that whole rich person like fashion um and just he reminds me of a person that i know which i'm not naming names but really bugs me okay so you heard your first jpl hates rich people thinks they're all evil no it's just that actually I'm just messing with you think, i know thinking about it 
What rich people do we know that are good? I suggest you don't get into this now and say that you just admit that you don't hate all rich people. I don't hate that all might rich come people. to bite you in the butt later. Yeah, there you go. Um, I oh, hate one thing. party people. I... Okay, that's fair. Um, one thing that I totally forgot to bring up with Jean's new armor, um, we see him use his sword differently. Yes. Um, oh, yes. With his shield. I totally forgot about that and it just popped up on my feed. Which is why um, I say shield semblance. It's 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 cool because it's, yeah, it's, cool. it's more like a bludgeon now, and it's like move dog. That's that's sweet. I wonder if he had that changed for that, or if he inherited it like that though. No, I, I think it it got changed for that. The blacksmith so made too. that change. Um, but yeah, so that was cool. The fa um father. What the father? You know, Jacques Snee. Jacques. Jacques. Yeah, he's kind of a jerk. Not gonna lie. Yeah, I guess so. He seems like a pretty stereotypical character. Well, at the beginning, you know, he did, he kind of stayed away from stereotypical because he wasn't uh, all the yelling father. He was um, he was much more manipulative and calm True. with the way he responded. It wasn't until uh, Weiss, you know, did um, violence where he uh, got angry. Yeah, but underneath it all, he was still always very manipulative from the start. Um, even before then, using his money to manipulate his daughter into talking to him it was overall he's not physically abusive i would say although he does like grab her arm and things like that but he's very abusive in sense of um just his character in how he yeah. uh deals with people Right. Also very self-absorbed. Weiss's singing wasn't the best. It was just sudden. Oh, oh she's singing. Yeah. And, and you know, yeah. it, it didn't really sound majestic as her white trailer. And it sounded it, a lot more like not Weiss, but the singer for the show. You're right. It's it's. I'm pretty sure that wasn't Weiss. It was... Um, yeah, it's not Weiss. Uh, Casey Williams. Okay. Oh, Casey, Cindy, yeah. same thing. Um, yeah, it was that did kind of throw me off. I'll give you that, but it does. That sounded fine to me. I think it was a good transition. Um, in the actual editing flow of the uh, episode. Yeah. Um, and it did show a lot of her emotion too. So the guy with the so. blue hair at the party who was a jerk, I have a feeling yeah. that he might return. Yeah, I think so too. He had a lot of character and uh, it seemed like he uh, might like he's just, not he, be gone forever. He like shows up at Mistral and like she needs his help because, you know, something that he does and is like, 
Oh, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I can't help you. Or maybe even this is how they first meet, and maybe this becomes her ro- her actual romantic. No, she has Neptune um, relationship. I think she has a thing with people with well, blue hair. Well, maybe, but I mean, this could be a start of her relationship with this guy. Even though right then she treated him like a jerk, maybe later they'll fall in love. Yeah, I mean, I feel like he just regardless. caught her at a bad time there. Yeah, I think otherwise she might have been more um accepting of it but at the same time it's it was cool to see that situation because perhaps a year ago um before the fall of beacon she might have been more acceptable of the situation or more accepting of that situation yeah and liked it more okay really Who's playing music? It's probably my dad. I don't know. Anyway, so... I believe that's all we have for characters. Yeah, basically. I mean, overall, it was about family and setting up for the next season in this. Um, Making a solid base in the past so that the next season can progress into the future. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many new characters we're going to get next season. I think for the most part, a lot of the characters are going to um, keep appearing. But, uh, yeah. All right. I mean, now we're in Mistral, so. So, let's review the end. The ending. ending according to flame um first things first uh pretty well done actually i even forgot that watts dude existed i was just wondering where he was this entire volume so when he showed up i was like it made a lot of sense it was great yes yeah so he just puts a damper for next volume because oh it's not gonna be happy it's gonna be oh you got a villain there actually you have two villains there hmm. um also we finally get to meet the last member of the uh yellow brick road you know we have ironwood crow glenn and goodwitch and now we have leo lion lionhearted the coward mm-hmm. who's cowarding against salem which, you know, people suspected Ty was the coward, but it seems like, oh, we have an obvious lion heart. Hmm. Yep. So it's, a. Uh, it will be interesting, yeah. for sure. So, um, yeah? Yeah, and I guess, like, in this situation, Salem could be wicked west of the location of wherever she is. Yeah, I guess so. Um, it seems like, uh, well, it seems like everyone's going to reunite next volume, which I feel like they could have waited. I mean, some characters, they could meet up, but it seems like all four are going to reunite. And if that were the case for next volume, I hope it's not just 
in one chapter they it's they reunite one after the next in different chapters Yeah. 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 And so the ending was especially um, geared towards the um, building of Juniper, especially Ren, with his defeat of his actual demon um, and just the closeness that he was able to accept of his friends, especially. Um, Nora and Jean and Ruby we find out has been writing her family this whole time even though it seems like they haven't received any um, of her letters but yeah yep so uh, I feel kind of bad for the dad though because he's just like Left alone at the house again. No, he's got the dog. Why? <laughs> yeah, why. And pictures of Ruby and her team. I don't get. But why doesn't he like go with his daughters though? Because he did go through uh, Beacon Academy, so he should know how to fight. So. Yeah. What's keeping him from joining his daughters? That. Yeah, it's honestly a good question. We, uh, I guess we don't know yet unless he has some sort of previous engagement where he has to be where he is. Or if he just is realizing that they need to do this themselves. Probably. Or maybe he's a coward and he's given up fighting. We don't really know. He seems somewhat cowardly, but in this past season we saw him as Full-on punches Yang in the face. Yeah. <sighs> Alright. So, I believe that's all we have for the ending. How about, let's talk about our favorite part of the volume. If any. Hmm. Mia, I would say, my favorite part is, um... Tyrion on this whole tracking down Ruby and then fighting against Crow. I just love his entire interaction. Yeah, did, yeah. I did like the fight between Tyrion and Crow. Yeah. I think learning about Crow was one of the one of my favorite parts, just because I think Crow is just such a cool character, and uh. Yeah, I, I think knowing his past is able helps us see the world a lot better. Because he was one of the main forces of like, oh, the world is terrible. We should be wary of it. But in this, it was like, well, no, he's just had a lot of things bad happen to him. And so he has a pretty negative view of the world, but he thinks it could be better. Um, and he's fighting to make it better, even though his world might still be as bad as it yeah. Has always been. You know, it's a bit disappointing, like, having Crow out for half of the volume. 
mm-hmm. with him being poisoned, you know, because he's he's such a great character that just having him being vulnerable, just kind of like, oh no, he's a he's a great person, no. Yeah, I don't know. I think him not being able to fight was good. Yeah. And also it kind of reinforced that, yeah, he was kind of unlucky and that he got poisoned. Yeah. But, uh, <coughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was cool because we got to see the other characters deal with situations. And it made sense that a fighter like Tyrion was able to get a hit off of, um hit off on this character who's always yeah. unlucky but it's also cool to see that the luck went both ways and Tyrion got his tail cut off so or at least the stinger portion of it uh, enough to make it not as threatening anymore yeah anyone else want to talk about a good moment or is it... no um, at the very end when the remaining portion of Team Juniper kind of all come around John. I think that was really good. Um, yeah. It was it was cool to see John's grief throughout all this because he was so dead center of it. And he lost a lot more than I think most of the other characters did in that he lost the girl that was that he was both falling in love with and becoming really close with and the person who was also guiding him down being a better warrior so now he has to do it all by himself and just to see him cope with that is such a pure it's I don't know it's it's a really cool situation and it's so pure how he does it and he does stray a couple times. He even yells at Crow. Um, but he's... Um, he deals with it in a really cool way. So I liked seeing him in Volume 4. Yeah. You know, I wish you know we could have seen more of his actual scythe. Because that's a pretty cool weapon. Mm-hmm. But I like how, you know, they actually use the whole fight with against Tyrion that the scythe would not be the best weapon that since you know they're Tyrion is also a very fast paced person that he he needs mm-hmm. to use his quick blade mm-hmm. yeah for sure I think that's a cool direction that they made sure to take alright um, and it, it just shows the versatility of his weapon too that the scythe portion of it, even while it may be more powerful, isn't always the best choice. It might be a better choice for one or the other. <coughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So, final thoughts? I mean, overall, I think uh, it was a great season. And we got to see a lot of the characters, but kind of just like the World of Remnant um, clips, this season wasn't all too necessary. I think 
they could have made one episode where they uh, just said, hey, we got to Mistral, and it would have been sufficient, but I am glad that they took an entire season to tell that story. Yeah. Um, um, for me, I really wanted like a much more ad- adventurous <coughs> volume where um, Team Ranger or Junior would uh, actually stop and do side quests, you know, with other villagers like we saw at the beginning. Um, which, it's kind of sad that we don't really get to see much of that, but they had to make it to the next volume, so. Right. One thing I will say, though, is at the very end of the volume, I didn't even realize that that was the last episode of the volume until it was done because it didn't it didn't really seem like a season finale. It seemed like a mid-season finale. Um yeah. where like they would have a break of maybe 2 or 3 weeks and then come back. It didn't feel like as big of an ending as the previous ones had been. So overall it was a lot less impactful to the story but i think character wise it was super important cat yeah it was it was a nice season and it really gets you excited for season five and and you just went so in depth with the characters and all that stuff that now you can understand them even better yeah so when it goes into season five yeah yeah. I'm looking for I'm looking forward to Ruby Chibi. Yes. I want to get back to that. Yeah, Ruby Chibi was a really good break last time, especially with just all the how dark um Ruby got in just the last half of season 3, and now in this season it's gotten a lot more realistic and a lot yeah. deeper. I want to see more Torchwick and Neo and their mm. shenanigans. I am disappointed that we have no confirmation of a Torchwick's uh, Pacific Rimming that grim. Or should yeah, I say I would've... Pacific Grimming? Ha, ha, ha. And with that, that's the end of this because I don't want to talk to John anymore. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, hey, oh. Anyway, um, I believe that's all we have for um, this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> um, oh, we're actually ending. <laughs> well, okay. There's nothing much we could talk about, is there? True. We went over basically everything, I think. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, I, <laughs> I completely forgot that, you know, with you in the podcast, I needed to have a terrible pun. Thanks. I'm basically the Barbara of this group. <laughs> Anyway, um, thank you guys for watching. It's been a fun time together, and um, I believe we will see you all next time. Bye. 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 I'll just type four flame wolf. Bye. <laughs> there you go. Bye. Um, and cut.